welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man whose balls are always correctly inflated. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. You got to. I would say overinflated sometimes. That's what I've been accused of, Mr. Grove. None of this Tom Brady-ness for me. Uh, sometimes too hard, not too soft. You noticed this, right? In the Champions yeah. League final, which is a rather important game, they put it on television rather. and everything, um, some of the balls were underinflated. Yeah, but this has happened in a couple other games, like in the Champions League restart tournament, such as it's been. Yeah, like I've seen players go to take a throw and then stop and then drop the ball and demand the one that had been in play. So maybe just yeah. those ones on the sidelines are like there from past Champions League games and they've just been sitting there for months and have lost a little bit of the air, <laughs> a little bit of that tightness that they need to be true Champions League balls. Is someone not doing their job? I mean, I would assume so. That's what it's got to be, right? Yeah. I think they were all busy in the stands cheering today instead of uh, doing their job, making sure everything was properly inflated and ready to go. <laughs> I did enjoy the cheering. We encourage our team to do that from the sidelines, right? Mm-hmm. To take advantage of what is always like 10 subs that we have. Yeah. We encourage uh, support from the sidelines. We do. We don't then try to bill it as like... The first time we've had a big atmosphere in the stadium the way they did at halftime a little bit. It was like, guys, <laughs> yes. come on. It's still like maybe 100 people cheering. That does create a little bit of volume, though. You could hear the cheers. It just maybe wasn't quite as loud as it would have been on a real day. But still, that was a nice touch. Yes, I think Alex Scott does a really good job of shepherding Peter Schmeichel <laughs> yeah. through those moments. I kind of think she makes sure that he doesn't pet the rabbit too hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, I do, which is why I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I'm like, uh huh, okay, yeah, that's great, that's great. Peter, Peter, please talk about. <laughs> they're, they're oh, he is off on another thing. Peter. They're about to kick off, Peter. <laughs> that, that that is literally what happened today, isn't it? <laughs> all right, I will say, good job all round from yeah. everybody at CBS mm-hmm. because I I haven't watched. I don't watch a lot of pre and post match stuff. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, but I was really impressed with what I saw from Jamie Carragher and Michael Richards and all those guys today. I think they got the analysis and made really good points really quickly to the point where I was almost kind of cursing them. Because normally mm. the situation is that yeah. we get to have the insights on this show and an American audience won't, won't hear it until they come here. Um, they're sort of giving our game away on television here. I had that a little bit uh, with the commentators as well, Jermaine Janus especially. But he's great who, yeah, the, right? uh, who the play-by-play commentator was. Do you remember? I can't remember. I'm sorry. But- at one point, I, I remember thinking, like, okay, PSG have done a really good job so far. This is like 33 minutes in. I was like, PSG have done a good job so far. They're containing Bayern. They're really kind of frustrating them. But I wonder if they're going to be able to do this throughout the game. Like, it requires a lot more running than they're probably used to. And within 10 seconds, the commentator said, but you do wonder, like, if the legginess will become a factor for PSG. And I was like, I already said that, man. But it was in my head. It didn't count. You said it to millions of people. But still, I get credit. So a salute to CBS, especially for doing this at short notice, right? Mm. This is like if they there was an expansion team that was told to go a year earlier than they thought and they had to put a roster together really quickly. Yeah, and they didn't (laughs) even name themselves CBS FC or anything like that. (laughs) CBS CBS City City FC. There it is, yeah. (laughs) All right, shall we get to the game, Taylor Rockwell? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Before we get to the only goal, which is kind of the centerpiece of what we're going to talk about, I imagine, let's talk about the two tactical approaches. Sure. Uh, we talked in the preview a lot about this being two attacking teams, two teams that like to press, and maybe one or the other or both would tweak what they do a little bit. So I kind of want to frame it like that. Mm-hmm. What did what did Bayern tweak and what did PSG tweak? And my, um, I want to say, hot take off the top is that PSG tweaked more than Bayern. Yes, I'm actually struggling to think of 
much that Byron tweaked. They went with, I think, the exact starting lineup we thought, except maybe Kingsley Coleman in for Ivan Perisic. That would be a big tweak there. Uh, Actually, the, can we talk about that for a yeah, second? Yeah. Did that surprise you? Because I thought Perisic was absolutely on fire in the quarters and the semi. And then in hindsight, you because he scores the winning goal mm-hmm. and he kind of terrorizes Kara yeah. at moments. You can't argue with Kingsley Coleman starting this game, but I'm really interested to know why Hansi Flick was so confident that that was the correct idea. All I can figure is that maybe he was thinking that he would need a little bit more pace than Perisic offers, that he could sort of have that combination of Coleman with Davies, that even if they did have to drop back and defend deep, they could then uh, combine and counter very, very quickly via their pace. And then obviously having the technical ability to score goals and create goals certainly doesn't hurt either. And the one tweak that I I noticed from Bayern is, was Davies not getting forward, mm-hmm. essentially? Um, that We saw in the, the previous games, it would ups, often be Alfonso Davies goes wide and high and Joshua Kimmich goes wide and high and both the fullbacks are committed forward quite often. I would argue that they either took turns yeah. or for the most part, Alfonso Davies stayed home and Kimmich was the one that got forward more and nearly got, nearly got in trouble a few times, right? There's that mm-hmm. 18th minute chance that uh, Neymar has saved. That, that whole chance happens because Kimmich has gone forward and the ball gets played into the space behind him. And I know Davies didn't have a good game and we'll probably talk about that. But I think part of him not having a good game is that he was, I think, asked not to get forward too much. Which I, I almost feel like was uh, Hansi Flick getting the game plan mostly right, but guessing guessing one thing wrong, which is that Mbappe tends to line up on the Kimmich side. And this match was sort of billed as like Mbappe versus Davies and what's going to happen. But I wonder if maybe there was an element of we want Davies home to deal with the pace of Mbappe, any sort of counterattack we know we can rely on his speed. Kimmich, we don't mind getting forward. We don't mind him making underlaps as well as overlapping runs. But then, yeah, it leads to Kimmich getting forward and there being space out on that side. And that is where PSG focused, I believe, at least at least in the first half, like 90% of their attacks. I agree. Um, and then what did you see PSG doing differently? You said PSG's tweaking. <laughs> I guess they mm-hmm. drank more coffee. PSG's yeah. tweaking was more uh, more pronounced than Bayern Munich. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Because in some ways they didn't tweak the way that we thought they would, and in some ways they tweaked in areas we did not think they would. For example, <laughs> Kaylor Navas starting is not... We mentioned it very briefly as being a possibility. I think I, I did, but kind of dismissed it as some rumors say he might be fit, but that seems like a gamble. Yeah. Uh, it was a gamble, but this one worked out okay. Uh, the other injury gamble would be Jerome Boateng starting despite having to come out at halftime. We weren't sure about that one either. I think you yeah. mentioned that it could be Sula starting instead of Boateng. It was no, not, no, I, it was I, coming off. I said I think Boateng's going to start, but he'll uh-huh. probably um, uh, aggravate that muscular injury ah, chasing Neymar and have to come off for Nicolas Sula. And I wish we still did very specific predictions because <laughs> I think I would have got 10 million points for that prediction. <laughs> would it have replaced your Menzuka header as your proudest moment of specific predictions? Absolutely, because the sequence of events was exactly, exactly what I predicted. Mm-hmm. And we've gone off track a little bit here, yeah. but I want to say Nicolas Sula coming into a game like halfway through the first half and looking absolutely rock solid. I don't just mean to look at. I mean, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. not being nervy, not making any mistakes. That's a really impressive performance from, from Nicolas Sula because that's a big ask to come into a Champions True. League final, um, coming back from injury yourself and replacing someone um, while the game's like um, in media res. You know what yeah, <laughs> there, is, there is the argument. Like, I, I think he does a phenomenal job. I think there's an argument that his most important defensive contribution was an accident. But then you can get into the question of, if you're in the right position and you've done the right approach, does that mean it's an accident if it happens accidentally? Or does that mean that you put yourself 
in the right position to succeed. Either way, I think leading well, to the goal, his interception that he might not have known he was making was, was pretty timely. But we can talk I about believe, that later on. I believe the golfer, Greg Norman, said mm-hmm. the more I practice, the luckier I get. There we go. That's well said. That's well said. <laughs> All right, uh, so, so we were talking about P- yeah, PSG tactical tweaks. What yeah. did they do slightly differently, Taylor, to deal with Bayern Munich? Mm-hmm. And how effective was it? Sure. Uh, so I think the big thing would be that they did go with the sort of standard 4-3-3 with that midfield three that we weren't sure if they would experiment. We thought maybe Verratti would come in, or at least I thought maybe we'd get a Verratti from the start. Instead, we go with that kind of standard defensive uh, midfield three. But then what we had that was surprising to me was Angel Di Maria and Kylian Mbappe dropping in sometimes very, very deep to almost yes. be in a 4-5-1 defensively. And what I thought was going to happen was that it would be Neymar dropping in to crowd the middle and you'd keep... Uh, Mbappe and Di Maria wide and high to sort of push those fullbacks back for Bayern. And instead it was the inverse of that. And it was Neymar was sort of the only outlet for PSG when they were defending deep. Yeah, so it was essentially when PSG were pushed back, as by if Bayern did progress up the field, I would call what PSG were doing essentially a 4-5-1 with Neymar, 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 Neymar <laughs> left up Sub-Bayern, high. Yeah, yeah gotcha. And, mm-hmm. and Mbappe and Di Maria as almost wingbacks, they were so far back. But then uh, Kera and Bernat, I thought they would tuck inside closer to Kimpembe and Thiago Silva, the centre-backs, so that what PSG could do is have a pretty uh, narrow, compact back four. So yeah. that back four never really got stretched out. And then they had three centre midfielders in front of them, right? And Marquinhos, um, uh, Paredes and Herrera. And then Di Maria and Mbappe dealing a lot with the uh, with the wide threat. And I think what that created was... Bayern just couldn't really find good balls into the box because PSG had given them absolutely no space to do so. There were a lot of blocked crosses and attempted passing combinations. And the thing I noticed especially was Bayern running out of space, right? They would try nice little one-twos and they would get the first part of the one-two, but the second part would go out of bounds because PSG just hadn't left them any room for error. I thought it was a really good, really impressive defensive performance except for that one moment um, when Bayern Munich scored. And I want to yeah. double down and say, the, the reason it's extra impressive is they also managed to press Bayern quite high up the field, right? Neymar, Mbappe and Di Maria would press Bayern when they were building out of the back. But if they got, if Bayern made progress, then Di Maria and Mbappe would basically book it all the way back to their sort of defensive wide position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and that is that level of effort and intensity is not a thing that I saw them going for in the very beginning. And that they were really able to execute it up until that goal happens for Byron. And I think that there are other factors at play there. Like this game easily could have been 2-0 PSG at halftime. Uh, it could have been much more than that for both teams, uh, both teams kind of squandering some chances. But yeah, I think in yeah. terms of teams that have taken Byron close in a time when they have not lost any games, PSG, I think, had the best setup and best game plan for how to nullify and frustrate Bayern Munich. And I tweeted this out uh, just before halftime that we're not used to seeing Bayern Munich look that frustrated. And there were so many moments of them yeah. sort of like, oh, like, like, why didn't you go there? Or the kind of thumbs up like, oh, I know I should have done that. I didn't get that right. And I think that did what PSG were doing, I think, exp- explained a lot of why Bayern really struggled to get into that rhythm. And PSG had chances. Right? We, we called mm-hmm. it maybe the Leon approach, right? Frustrate them and hit them on the counter. And they did have the Neymar chance in the mm-hmm. 18th minute. They had the Di Maria chance in the 24th minute. And just before halftime, uh, the Mbappe chance. Mm-hmm. I want to say the Neymar and Mbappe chances were saved by Manuel Neuer. And the Di Maria chance, he just kind of hit it over the bar. But it was worked into a position where that's, that's a pretty good shooting opportunity. So mm-hmm. is there an element of PSG being a little bit profligate here? Yeah, I, th- I think... 
part of like the first 15 minutes of this game can be sort of explained away by nerves that I think Bayern know that this is a, an amazing opportunity for them to take another step in sort of cementing the legacy of the strength of this team and Hansi Flick wants to sort of show that he is the right man for the job winning the Bundesliga Bayern do that all the time but winning the Champions League that's a bigger deal and I think you could see the nerves there with them being indecisive in times when we've seen them be very decisive and then the opposite of that trying to kind of force balls in and them not coming off I think that's Bayern looking a little bit wasteful and I think for PSG yeah again I think it's the moment sort of getting to them of that feeling of uh, uh, chances are going to be at a premium I've got to take this and I can't mess it up and as soon as you sort of have that anxiety have that nervousness about you you don't have that clarity of thought you need to finish as effectively and efficiently as we've seen both of these teams do. And a lot of people predicted this, right? That Bayern's high line would create chances for PSG. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely did happen. But I think the thing we kind of highlighted in our preview is, even though those chances do happen, Bayern have got really talented defenders in terms of scrambling, mm-hmm. right? The Di Maria chance, like it's, it's a good chance, but there's still a lot of Bayern bodies around the ball. The, the Neymar chance he has to take from a slight angle in the 18th yeah. minute because, uh, you know, they've managed to like try and squeeze the space as much as possible. I think Boateng comes over because Kimmich has been mm-hmm. removed from the play. So it's, it, it, they're not wide open chances. And then right at the end, you've got Manuel Neuer, who I think had one of those like yeah. peak Manuel Neuer. It's almost like 2014 version Manuel mm-hmm. Neuer games where I don't think he put a foot wrong. I think he saved everything. Yeah, and to really like highlight that point, I think, again, the commentator who's, who shall remain nameless uh, pointed out that even when Mbappe gets in a very good shooting opportunity because he's about five yards offside, uh, he still doesn't score because yes. Neuer somehow manages to make a save. And I do think that is like anecdotal, but there was another moment of the first half when Neymar gets played in and is offside and sort of continues running on as though, like, ah, I'm going to shape the shoot, like, I might just try to finish this, and doesn't end up doing it. But Neuer does not break his stance. Like, Manuel Neuer is definitely in that, like, not, you are not going to score on me even when the play has already been stopped I'm not giving you that mental edge so I think we saw that sharpness there and I think we saw it throughout pretty much absolutely yeah so Manuel Neuer still good yes <laughs> that is definitely fair to say uh, and Kaylo Navas has got plenty Champions League winners medals anyway yeah. right yeah so he's, he'll, he's fine he'll be fine um all right is that enough is that enough tactics Taylor do you want to take a break and then talk about the buying goal or is there any other big things that you want to talk about um, not that I can think of right now, but I'm sure with this moment to reflect, I'm sure other things will, will, will occur to me. And if not, we'll just talk goals or goal. <laughs> goal. Yeah. Well, while you're reflecting, I will let our listeners know that today's show is sponsored by Four Hymns. Uh, com is all about men's wellness. If you need help with hair loss, erectile dysfunction, or even have a cold, um, then Hymns is here for you. I think we already have, we've said this before, but I will say it again, in the time of COVID, Corona, uh, what have you, I forget which one it's supposed to be, but regardless, I think you already have like an obstacle in place to go to make you go see a doctor. And if you already need maybe that extra push uh, to go see a doctor, if you then have a thing that's making it that much more difficult, you're not going to do it. And especially when you're dealing with a situation that can be embarrassing, that can be perceived as embarrassing, despite the fact that 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35, hair loss can still be a thing, but going to the doctor from home makes that a lot easier. I like that our listeners were on edge. Is it going to be erectile dysfunction or is it going to be hair loss? It's hair loss. It it's is. hair loss. If you are concerned about hair loss, as Taylor said, you can visit, you don't have to go visit a doctor. Nah. You can go to 4 and 4hims.com slash totalsoccer is the URL we'll be, we'll be revealing later. Um, and thanks to science, that hair loss can be optional because Hims can connect you to FDA approved products to treat hair loss. And they have thousands of happy customers loving their results, just running their fingers through their hair on a windy day. 
And I do appreciate a from-home doctor's visit. You're not in the waiting room that's like like sitting there unnecessarily for 12 minutes, but you've been told not to use your cell phone, so you're reading uh, a health magazine from 12 years ago that might have outdated information. <laughs> you don't have to deal with that. Instead, you can read the outdated information that's in your own home because <laughs> those those uh, virtual – the telemedicine allows you to remain in the comfort while dealing with situations like hair loss. So then I can just read a New Yorker from July 2017. Yeah, and you feel um. right there. <laughs> Also, if you're not happy um, with the HIMSS treatment after 90 days, you can email HIMSS for a full refund. Um, and today, HIMSS is giving you their best offer yet. The offer is you get, the, you get that money back if you're not happy. Um, if you go to forhims.com slash totalsucker, listeners can get their first visit, their online visit, absolutely free. That's forhims.com slash totalsucker for that first visit, absolutely free. And the 90 days money back guarantee. Oh, Taylor, I've left mm-hmm. you with the disclaimer. Oh, I'm prepared, my friend, or as prepared as I can be. Full refund of price paid available for first 90 days supply. Refund requests must be made between 90 and 180 days after product shipment delivered. Prescription products require an online consultation with a medical professional who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. My friend, take a deep breath and <laughs> take a bow. Take a bow. Thank I'm you bowing. to I'm him. And breathing. Thank you to Hims for sponsoring today's Total Soccer show. Indeed. All right, Tyler, we, we've talked tactical approaches. I think we've made the case that PSG mostly got it right. They basically did the best thing you could try and do against this Bayern team. We have, and I'm going to leave our susp- listeners in suspense for another moment to say there is one more thing that we mentioned that I think should be given credit uh, to PSG, and it does relate to tactics. Would you like it now? Yeah, I mean, I'll just give a post in the show. You just do what you want. Yeah, that's fine. That, that's good. I prefer it that way. Um, it's that we also spotlighted that uh, some of the vulnerabilities of Bayern Munich are of their own creation. And the, the big one would be when Thiago sort of vacates space that leaves space open through the middle. And we should add, I think for that Neymar chance, you mentioned that Kimmich was removed from the play, and it's because Bayern are trying to counterattack. They drive forward. Kimmich gets forward. The ball's into, I believe, Serge Gnabry, who just completely miscontrols the pass into him as Bayern are transitioning, spills it in the middle of the field, and it's like two quick passes and PSG are away. And that was the exact thing I think Bayern were trying not to do, and it's a credit to PSG. PSG, that the one time there's sort of a cough-up of possession while in transition to attack, they almost get punished for it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's not incorrect. Um, <laughs> all right, praise, but I, I do want to talk about the Bayern Munich goal. Let's um, do it. So, 59th minute, it's a Kingsley Coman header. It is. Um, here's my, before we get into the details of it, here's my big picture take on what happened here. We mentioned that PSG would press kind of high, um, but then Di Maria and Mbappe would drop back and they would, you know, the whole team would form a compact kind of shell that Bayern couldn't penetrate. I think what happened here is that Thiago pass that beats four people and gets the ball into Joshua Kimmich essentially um, eliminates the period when PSG would have got everybody back. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that transition mm-hmm. period when they all would have dropped and formed the shell. Um, Tiago's pass was so good that it, um, it it skipped a step. They went from step one to step three and it missed out the part when PSG could have got back. For example, Di Maria, uh, Kimmich is behind him and he never catches him up. Yeah, and I think that pass itself is just an example of how much of a world-class player Tiago is. Absolutely. But then the like five or ten passes before that pass also show that because they're very simple. They're sort of one touch backward or two touch but sideways, but he's never really trying to do that much, but you always get the impression that he is 
probing and scanning and looking for opportunities. And again, I think it's telling that 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 pass had to be as perfect as it was or somebody cuts it out really easily. Yeah. And it's worth noting that pass goes into Kimmich, as we've already said. If it gets cut out, you have tons of space to capitalize upon yes. your PSG. So it is a gamble from Thiago, but this is where that gamble makes sense because he's able to pull it off so effectively. And if you haven't noticed this pass, because if you only see the replay, for example, there's a chance you don't see this pass in the mm-hmm. build-up, right? Yep. It really is the perfect, uh, I, call it, I kind of call it the Sergio Busquets pass, mm-hmm. where your body shape is like this ball is going to be pinged out to the wing and your hips are yep. facing the wing and everybody thinks it's going wide. Yep. But you sort of swivel at the last second and you play it through the middle of the field, essentially. And that's how it beats four different people to get into Yoshua Kimmich. Yep. I mean, this is a thing that quite a lot of um deep line midfielders are, are doing you know i think i notice it more and more and more but that doesn't mean it's easy to pull off and especially at, at this level against mm-hmm. this psg team yeah i'm i'm interested taylor in uh, joshua kimmich's position because mm-hmm. normally okay he's the right back and he pushes up high and wide it looked to me like he and serge Gnabry had flipped it a little bit and Gnabry was providing the width and kimmich was making an almost yep. interior run i noticed earlier in the show you called it an underlap yeah, he, it's because he, I noticed him doing that around the 20th or the 25th minute. It's around the time when Bayern start to reassert their dominance. There's that period in the first half. I think in the opening minutes, it's kind of even maybe edging towards Bayern. Then PSG have a, a kind of sustained period of getting some good chances. Then Bayern have one of their own. And in that period is when I start to see Kimmich making sort of interior runs. He's trying to play the ball wide, continue his run, and sort of get that wall pass, but at an angle that he can then either drive at goal and cut back or drive at goal and get a shot. But yeah, I think him sort of being a little more central than completely wide was a big part of what Bayern were trying to do. And it made this pass from Thiago possible, mm-hmm. right? Because Kimmich is essentially popping up in a weirdly unorthodox, unorthodox position for a yep. right back. And it might be that PSG weren't expecting it. Di Maria certainly wasn't expecting it. Because I think he thought he'd got Joshua Kimmich covered. Yep. And like I said earlier, he never catches him up. No. Um, from here, Kimmich plays it outside to Serge Gnabry, who yep. was way out on the wing. Gnabry plays that low ball in. And I thought the first five times I watched yep. this, I thought a PSG player tackled Thomas Muller. They did not, did they? they this did is a not. Thomas Muller. He holds off essentially three, three PSG amazing. players. I think Paredes uh, mm-hmm. slide tackles that misses. Thiago Silva stepped out and Ander Herrera is trying to step across him. Skinny Thomas Muller holds them all off and lays the ball back to Joshua Kimmich. And, and the layoff, it's one touch. It's right back to Kimmich in a position where he can kind of do what he wants. Uh, and, and that alone, it's just great technique to kill that ball but put it right into Kimmich's feet as well. But it's also how quickly Thomas Muller is able to read that situation because he is running at full speed. He wants that cutback so he can maybe take a shot first time, maybe take one touch and then take the shot. And in that I, maybe even quarter second, eighth of a second, I don't know. He realizes there's too many bodies here. I'm not going to be able to do what I want. I'm also probably not going to be able to get a shot off. And, I, and if I carry through... I'm going to lose this ball. I'm going to lose my footing. And the ability to recognize, oh, but that drop is on. I will make that pass and sort of go flying out of the equation. But I have hopefully facilitated something. How quickly he reads it and adapts and adjusts and then executes. Uh, In in a game where I don't think he had a particularly great game. I'm going to guess that this is one of those where if you watch it again and again, you'll start to notice more and more little things he's doing. I actually, I I saw him make a lot of those clever Thomas Muller runs. Mm -hmm that quite often there'd be a ball that he'd be on the end of, but there just wasn't quite the space. Like yeah. the Bayern players weren't allowed the space to, to pass it in 
or there just wasn't the space to pass it in even when they had the opportunity. So I think he was doing his usual Thomas Muller things and he actually did do a lot of the defensive work that we were talking about in the preview. Yeah. It's just this is the only noticeable thing that he did and even then it looks like he gets mm-hmm. tackled. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind but of the Thomas Muller story, right? It is. It, yeah, exactly. You never notice, but it's always important. Uh, and then this was, to some extent, Bayern returning to their form of Thiago having the passing vision to split four defenders to find uh, a teammate in space. It's then Thomas Muller doing something that you wouldn't necessarily notice and you wouldn't necessarily give him credit for on the first or fifth viewing, but eventually you recognize he did it on purpose. But then it's also Bayern not rushing. It's not them sort of desperately trying to make something happen. You could see Kimmich for a moment think, should I shoot this? Should I have a, like another sort of reverse pass and see what happens? And then yeah. I think there's that moment of like, oh, no, we're Bayern Munich. Right, I'll just take my time, compose myself, wait for it to be 3v1 at the back post, which it was, mm-hmm. and then I'll play that ball in and we'll see what happens. So he bends it in to the back mm-hmm. post where Kingsley Coman is running in and Kingsley Coman heads it back across goal. Yeah. Um, Taylor, where Joshua Kimmich crossed it from, Yeah, was that the bendy zone we were talking about? I'm saying about? it is. I'm saying it, it is. is. It's, you... it's that to the end line. That exact spot from there to the end line is what I'm talking about. Or the to the sideline, excuse me, yeah. sideline, sideline. So, it's kind of, so we're essentially talking about a, an area where it's, it's too narrow for what you'd call a proper cross. Yeah. But you can send in a sort of weird bendy pass that if yes. you put enough bend on it, it'll go like sort of towards the keeper, but then away again. And then if someone's at the back post, then the opposition's in trouble. Fair? Yeah. Yeah, right. but, it's, but from how interior he was and then basically being on top of the 18, that's also such a, a deceptively good ball because you yeah. have to wait it perfectly to not have the goalkeeper really come for it, but not allow the defender to oh, intervene. Yeah. And then in the end, you've put in the exact spot it needed to be. It's a great header. Don't get me wrong. Kingsley Coleman has to hit that as perfectly as he does. It really is a goal of everybody doing exactly the right thing at exactly the right moment which I guess so often is how you score goals. Sometimes it's not. Uh, but in this case, it certainly was. So I'll, I also have a read on what happened to PSG's defense here mm-hmm. and why um, uh, Kingsley Coman was so open at the back post. It's kind of a domino effect. Are you interested in hearing this? Of course I am. All right, so it starts with that Thomas Muller thing. I think if you think about it, if you have three players, three defenders mm-hmm. converge on one attacker, that's going to cause problems, right? Um, and I think one of the major problems is that Thiago Silva, PSG centre-back, who is so good and so wise at knowing when he can step out and win things, he has left Robert Lewandowski to step out and go and try and win that ball. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think if Paredes isn't around, if Ander Herrera isn't around, then Thiago Silva would have gone 100% full tilt and might have got a toe to it. But instead, as we discussed, Muller lays it back and then Kimmich can cross it in, right? Mm-hmm. But when Thiago Silva makes a decision to leave Robert Lewandowski and try and risk winning that ball, suddenly Robert Lewandowski is wide open, right? Mm-hmm. And the knock-on problem of that is that the right-back, Kera, as all this is happening, I saw him two or three times, check his shoulder, watching Kingsley Coman, watching Kingsley mm-hmm. Coman. He's got him, right? He's got an absolute read on where Kingsley Coman is. Then he notices that Robert Lewandowski is wide open because yeah. Thiago Silva has left him. And so as Kimmich is shaping to cross... Kera changes his mind and goes and marks Robert Lewandowski. And that's why Kingsley Coman is wide open. And even worse, the rest of the PSG defense step out for offside. Yep. So Kimpembe, mm-hmm. who, who was the deepest, steps out. Everybody else steps out. Unfortunately, Kera is stepping backwards to be goal side of Robert Lewandowski. So yeah. it, it ruins the offside line and it leaves Kingsley Coman wide open. And I'm not blaming Kera necessarily. And I'm not blaming Silva. It's more just a systemic like cascade of problems that happen when three people converge on Thomas Muller and Thomas Muller really cleverly lays it off instead. 
Yeah, I thought Kerr had a, a not particularly great game either, but I don't put this one on him really at all because even in that moment, if he is dropping when everybody else is stepping, you're stepping too slow <laughs> if, you, if you're a PSG because at that point, the ball has gone back to Kimmich and there's no way you're really going to be able to, to win that ball off of, off of him. But, it's but you not might catch everybody time. offside, right? Yeah, but at that moment, it's really difficult if he's serving in what he is to make sure that everybody's stepping in the exact right moment. Uh, so I, but I think also for Kara, to your point, if he's trying to deal with Lewandowski and Coleman, and then I believe there's another runner from Bayern. That's why I was saying it's three on one at the end. I don't really think there's much he can do to the extent that I now wonder if Kimmich is actually aiming for a wide open Robert Lewandowski and maybe just conveniently overhits it. And that's where Coleman is able to get to it. I mean, it would be the natural choice, yeah. right? With all respect to Kingsley Coleman, his game is more on the floor than in the yeah. air, right? Yeah. And again, this is another example. We talked about this in the preview that uh, Robert Lewandowski kind of hasn't like Sean and like had his his big moments where it's all about Robert Lewandowski apart from goals late in games when they're already decided but he's key to this goal right his Mm -hmm. very presence is key to this goal yeah and I think he was he was key he's another one like Thomas Muller who I think if you go back and watch you're going to see him making a lot of runs trying to create space trying to open up space or occupy trying to link a play and hold up and frustrate and even in some of the moments when the game starts to get really chippy when he's picking the ball up to go talk to the referee you're killing 30 seconds you're killing the rhythm you're not letting PSG restart there are definitely some veteran moves from him in this game speaking of veteran moves um I want to talk about what Bayern did to Neymar so I don't know if it started immediately after the goal or if I only noticed it immediately after the goal but definitely for the last 30 minutes like PSG would give the ball to Neymar who was looking to make something happen and Bayern kind of did the hacker shack yeah. thing right mm-hmm. they took turns having not horrific fouls but just aggressive enough fouls to just absolutely stop Neymar in his tracks yeah. and give him a little bruise each time I would imagine and I think for lack of a better way of putting it, just piss him off. Because I think <laughs> that is more than anything else. Like, I was watching that for that as well. And as it started to happen, it didn't necessarily feel like, oh, he's building up ahead of steam. We got to stop him prematurely. Or we don't even want him to get into the sort of rhythm where he's comfortable, where he starts to create more and more. It felt like Neymar focused and 100% locked in on what he's supposed to be doing is a problem for Bayern Munich. Neymar, frustrated by the lack of calls or the lack of cards and starting to kind of appeal for things and get into it with people and have words with the referee, yeah. is no longer solely focused on the game plan and no. what Thomas Tuchel has asked. And I think that is a big reason why they go the approach uh, that they do. Yeah, because all the arguing afterwards, it, mm-hmm. it's just running the clock down, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's time that you're not dribbling at Bayern. And it's, and it's exactly. And it is sort of what my coaches have taught me throughout time is that if you're going to kind of foul somebody, if you're going to be physical, always make sure that you're the first one to go over and be like, hey, man, like checking on you because the referee is going to take that into consideration sometimes. And I yeah. think that was also a feature of what Byron were doing of like, hey, man, no hard feelings. And you could see Neymar go from like, yeah, 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 I get you. Like it's the thing he did with Tyler Adams, like a little like stomach pat, head bump, you know, yeah, yeah. I got you. It's all good. And just recognizing the, the, next, those, the next great player in the world. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Neymar to Tyler Adams, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course. Uh, but you can see after like the fifth one of those that it stops being that amicable, like, yeah, I got you, man. It's just part of the game. And instead it's like hands in the air, frustration, pulling up his socks, shaking his head. And it just – you. I'm not saying this is a criticism of Neymar even, but I think it is a thing that Bayern were trying to do to frustrate PSG as much as they could. Did they do that before they scored as well? I'm really interested in it because I feel like they mostly contained Neymar except for the occasional yeah. moments, but I think that's always going to happen when you face – 
Neymar. And I, I don't know what they did, for example, in the first half to, to close him down. I don't think he was on the ball very much in the first half, at least not enough that it was it was sort of mattered to this degree. I think because he was the kind of tip of the spear, he was mm. an outlet at best, but then he's trying to kind of compete for 50-50 balls, most of yeah. which he's never going to be able to challenge for. He doesn't get much in defeat. It's usually in transition. It's usually on the counter. I can't think of many opportunities in which he's heavily involved in quick build-up, pass, 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 pass. It's a lot of yeah. quick transition played into him before anybody can get near him. So and, I think it's probably a product of PSG trying to get more of the ball or maybe even just being on the ball more often. Yeah, and I, th- I think, in fact, it's a lot about Bayern's pressing game, which yeah. really did strangle a lot of PSG's attacks before they even got started um, mm-hmm. in the first half. So the ball never even got up to Neymar. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I was sort of nervous with that in mind because I was guaranteeing goals in this one. I thought for yeah. sure we would get more. I think we probably should have. I think we saw some of the nerves on display. I feel bad for Chupa Motang at the very end that he will probably be scapegoated as, as should have done better with that chance, and he probably should have. But so too should many of the other players on PSG. So I think... In some ways, we saw the game we thought we would see, and then I think in other ways, we saw a much more disciplined defensive performance from PSG that also partially explains why we didn't see more goals. Yeah, and no, I think that's fair. That's a fair read of the game. All right, let's talk about what happens next. No oh boy. Bayern Munich, I assume, just march on, right? They've just won the treble. Hansi Flick was given the permanent job a while ago, so that's not in question at all. And Bayern will go into next season... I assume still pretty confident, even though they're losing Thiago. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about Thiago for a second. Sure. Um, it looks for all, it's not official yet, right? But it looks for all the world like he's going to Liverpool. And we talked about this before. It's basically he wants a new challenge. And I think yep. I understand the type of person Thiago is. He's probably looking at it as like, what, I'm, I'm mid to late 20s now. I want to go and uh, show them what I've got in the Premier League. I've done La Liga. Yep. I've done the Bundesliga. Let's have a go at the Premier League. And I, it, it's time to do it now, right? It's not just because he is the player that Pep brings with him from Barcelona, but I have never been more reminded of like Pep Guardiola from a player than I was from Thiago in this game. That he never loses focus. He is always 100% locked in. Even as he's stubbing off, you can see him, I think, uh, motivating Tolisso. I, like, I can't quite tell what he was saying, but there were definitely some words about not making mistakes in there. That yeah. he is hyper-focused, never loses any of that intensity. and really oh, you mean after he it. comes off? Yeah, even yeah. after he comes off. Yeah, it's it's always this sort of consummate professional, this intensity, this I have to be focusing on everything that's happening and in any given moment. So there's that element. But there's also that pep element of I want to travel around. I want to see different things. I want to experience yes. different teams and how different teams play. I've never felt more sure that a player was going to be a manager and a good manager at that than I was that Tiago moves into that role when he gets closer to retiring. And I am excited to see how that goes because I think he will be a good manager. So, yeah, for those who don't know, Pep Guardiola spent his entire career, almost his entire career, at Barcelona. But right at the end, he went and played for Brescia in Italy. Yeah. And he, I think he could have gone to a much bigger team, but his deal was, I just want to go and you know play every game and play in Italy and get that experience and there's like the dorados experience in mexico where he wants to learn from that one specific manager so he goes to mexico to get some coaching experience i believe that he has some time in the middle east again different experience i could be wrong on that i can't remember if pet played there but i feel like he did so i just remember these moments of him just being like yeah this is the thing i wanted to try i wanted to play for that guy i wanted to be able to sort of learn from him so i'm gonna go do that now and this it's why the liverpool move makes sense because if you're gonna go from Pep at, at Bayern, or Pep at uh, Barcelona, to Pep at Bayern, to all the success he's had at Bayern Munich, 
Liverpool is another massive club with a massive coach. You've had big success. What can you do with that team? How can you learn from them? And then how can you sort of influence your game on them? I think it makes a lot of sense. If the money makes sense, if it all ends up working out, I will be excited and yet terrified uh, of a further strength in Liverpool. And I just um, I just looked it up. Uh, it is the right time. Thiago is 29. He's a little older than yeah. I thought. It's kind of now or never, right? If you're mm-hmm. going to go and uh, be your very best in the Premier League. I really look forward to seeing him because he's a player that I'm, I love watching. I'm really glad that his, um, his Bayern era has ended with a Champions League trophy. Yeah, I th- and I think that probably does. Like, there was some speculation that maybe he would end up resigning, and given that I have been the the consummate jinxer, I'm sure me saying this means he won't means he will. But <laughs> the way he celebrated how emotional he was at the end, it did have that. This is my send off. This is how I wanted to go out. I can't think of a better way to go out. I'm very happy right now. Sort of moment. Well, let's talk about PSG. I you were telling me before we started recording. Oh, and before we get a billion tweets, we Leroy Sana is joining Bayern Munich. It's been pointed out, and I forget it, and then I have to point it out again. They're going to be real good, so it, it's not really going to be a huge deal, I think. Wow! If if uh, Thiago leaves, that is to say. But there is but there is the question of who plays the Thiago role. Well, there it's is so that. important, mm-hmm. right? You're going to have Goretzka, Tolisso, um, maybe Kimmich moves back mm-hmm. to to central midfield, and Pavard goes back to right back. I mean, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Yeah, um, I should I shouldn't say like. Thiago's a big loss, but it's not as though Bayern were kind of all dependent on him. They've, they're going to spend some money. They're going to bring in some people. They're going to be, I'm pretty sure, okay. So, PSG, you were telling me yeah. earlier that there were rumors mm-hmm. that Thomas Tuchel's job might be under threat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the project with Tuchel may have come to a conclusion. That was reporting from Fabrizio Romano. We don't know if that's PSG testing the waters, if that's maybe Max Allegri putting some rumors out there since he is the heir apparent. But if that were to happen... I think it's a pretty foolish decision from PSG. This is the closest they've ever come to mm-hmm. winning the Champions League. They are currently 15th in Ligue 1 right now. We should note that. <laughs> is it, isn't it weird that uh, Ligue 1 kicked off this weekend? <laughs> it is. It actually yes. is. Yeah, I know. It's why they're 15th. It's just alphabetical and they haven't played a game yet. But still, 15th. It's not good, Daryl. You're out of the European spots. I don't know what he's doing. But they're actually going to start, when they do start their yeah. league own campaign, they're going to start a couple games behind. Other teams will have some points on them. So it'll make it interesting for the first couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, as they we do have a huge break like and from now until, oh, wait, the Community Shield is next weekend? Okay, yeah, good to know. Good to know. It's happening. It's happening. Yeah. But yeah, I think we both think Thomas Tuchel mm-hmm. should keep this job, right? Because yes. even uh, we didn't like say this as propaganda for Tuchel at the start of this show but he got the tactics right here he just like essentially came up against a little bit of bad luck and probably slightly superior opposition and and you really wouldn't forgive a lot of managers for arguing like this is about as good as it could have gone like yes maybe we could have had like a couple better finishes there and i don't think that's his fault i think his tactics were right and it really is in some ways at least a moral victory in my mind because i did not know how you deal with this Bayern munich team we had some suggestions in our preview but no one has been able to effectively do it this is about as close as a team has come i mean yes some bundesliga teams have won games i get that but in this type of moment that PSG came this close by playing a risky system that more or less entirely paid off with just a few vulnerabilities that, you know, uh, if you strike them a little bit more, do they get a little bit better? Probably. So I think it would be pretty silly. And like under Herrera after the game is talking about how much they've grown and how much they've developed and how much they're playing as a team and a unit yeah. and how excited he is for what comes next. 
if what comes next is not the same manager, then all of that momentum is effectively killed. Yeah, it's like they keep resetting and resetting and resetting. And this feels to me the closest they've come to building mm-hmm. something. One piece that will be missing is Thiago Silva, the mm-hmm. centre back. It seems like he's on his way out. And there's even talks of him uh, having yeah. conversations with, with Chelsea. I think he obviously will be a big miss, but also if you're building for the future, um, Thiago Silva is not a young man anymore, right? So no. maybe it's not the worst thing to move on before you have Thiago Silva problems. Like, yeah, I, think- I, I don't think his mistake in this game is like, oh, he's too old and he's, he's losing it. But um, it's, it's also not not that. Yeah. No, I think instead they learn their lesson from Talisa, or from um, from Kingsley Coman, not uh, Talisa. And they maybe see, go look at their like U9, U10, U11 academy and just make sure there's nobody in there that they might be letting go uh, for free that ends up coming back to bite them. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, anything else to add on this game, Taylor? Just that it was another example of a game that, though it was only 1-0 and 0-0 at half, I thought it was really entertaining from start to finish and had a lot of swings. Even in a two-minute period, it would go from uh, like PSG having a very good chance to Byron having a very good chance back and forth. Oh, and I should mention, do you remember what I was talking about earlier with the Sula, like, maybe fortunate intervention? Yes. So that's, for people who don't, Angel Di Maria does that thing Angel Di Maria does where he's dribbling down the wing and cuts inside, <laughs> and, and it almost always works. He almost always megs the defender because they're transitioning back. Then he gets goal side of them, and then the defender can't make a play, or it's going to be a red card or a penalty. And it just happens to catch Sula's leg. And if it doesn't, I think Di Maria is their own goal. But when it does, Brian then build up from there. That's the pass from Tiago. That ends up being the goal. That is how fine the margins were on the evening. Oh yeah, because actually he got Alfonso Davis with a similar a similar yeah. move, right? He did get. Oh, we man. should yeah. we should add just because I'm sure we're going to hear about it if we don't. You mentioned uh, Alfonso Davies having a bad game earlier, uh, and I think that was a thing we texted about a little bit. I'm inclined to agree, but I think people are going to remember this as he totally shut down that front three. They didn't do anything, so this was Alfonso Davies having a very good game. Yeah, I mean. I don't like you putting words in my mouth because <laughs> uh, I think what I said at the start of the show had a lot more nuance to it, right? Mm-hmm. I would say he had an unimpressive game because normally it's him going at opposition right sides and really causing trouble on the overlap um, and shutting down opposition defenders. I feel like in this in this game, it was a bit more um, either directed or a decision on his mm-hmm. own uh, cognizance to to essentially sacrifice his attacking game to just stay home and make sure there wasn't space available for PSG to exploit. And there were some one-on-one moments like when Di Maria nutmegged him and there were some like not great touches as he was coming out of the back. But I think the decision, whoever made it, whether it was Davies um, or Hansi Flick, to not get forward as often and to to stay home more often, what I think was a big part of PSG not having um, holes that could be exploited. It also allowed Kimmich to take more risks down the other side as well. I would, I would also note that the um, the noticeably bad moments started after he got that pretty bad foul on him, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a, like a 10-minute spell when he was limping a little bit, yeah. where he was in a bit of trouble. So that, that's my take on Alfonso Davies. This definitely isn't his best game, but if you look back at that Champions League campaign, it's absolutely magnificent, and now he has a Champions League winner's medal. I cannot imagine, I agree with everything you said, I cannot imagine the nerves that you would be feeling to be in his position because it's not, you know, everyone's a professional. He's played in front of big crowds and this wasn't that, uh, but it was a monumental moment. But like that said, 
like we heard the stories about him being so amazed that he was going to be marking Little Messi, and his he and his dad were just sort of silent on the phone contemplating that. And to be playing in a Champions League final must be the most nervous adrenaline a teenager can imagine or a youngster can imagine. And that, like, yeah, he has some loose touches. It's not the like the best 100% lockdown one v one defending. But I think, yeah, overall with the way it ended up going, uh, not bad, Fonzie, not bad. I think his CONCACAF Nations League experience served him served him well. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to add, Taylor, before we move on? Nothing, just that it, it feels fitting that it's Bayern Munich for the way yeah. they've finished their season in the Bundesliga, the way they've gone through this campaign, the opponents that they've dominated. Yes. They do come through the, the I wouldn't even say arguably the harder side, just the harder side of the bracket. So credit to them for all that they've done and credit to PSG, unless they fire Thomas Tuchel, in which case no credit at all. <laughs> I want to see Bayern Munich versus Liverpool. Oh, I'd be good with that. Let's yeah, make that happen. That's a matchup I don't think we've seen. And if Liverpool are, you know, operating at the same speed as they were in the first three quarters mm-hmm. of this past season against this Bayern Munich team. Plus Thiago. They've taken Thiago. Plus, plus <laughs> taking Thiago. That's, that's a great game. I want that game to happen uh, sometime next year. Um, all right, before we move on, Taylor, we are going to have a dynamically inserted ad and it's uh it's it's like our champions league final because we've we've had a few goes at it in the past and the ads haven't always cooperated and gone in exactly the right place <laughs> this time i think we've got it right so we're going to take a short break and we'll be back after this word from a sponsor i'm pretty sure it was there taylor <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty confident we got it right this time. I do want to explain to our listeners, we've been um, working with these, these new ads and there's a system that we use uh, to insert them. And the system's been a little off and we've, I think we've had to find a way to work with it. I think we nailed it this time. If we didn't, I'm going to be really embarrassed because I'm really confident that the ad was there. No comment. <laughs> I like it. You're just like slowly, um, slowly rolling out a frame and letting me take that the blame if anything goes wrong. <laughs> Yes. While sipping out of a coffee mug to make myself look even more uh, uninvolved. Not involved, not involved, not involved. All right. Well, we've got updates from the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network. Some young Americans doing some good things Mm -hmm. and some not so good things. Yeah. Um, First report is not about an American. It's about a Champions League winner. First mm-hmm. scouting report today comes from Guy Yedwab scouting Serge Gnabry, the 24-year-old German wide forward for Bayern Munich. Guy says, I was very excited to report that Serge Gnabry scored against Barcelona in the Champions League, but by the end of 90 minutes, it didn't seem like much of a feat anymore. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to win the Champions League. So, sure well done, Serge. Did. Well done, Guy. Who has, it occurred to me, been with Serge Gnabry for so long, as like in sending scouting reports for so long, he could sort of help, like he could ghostwrite his biography. He absolutely extent. could. I believe um, we assigned Serge to Guy uh, back when Serge mm-hmm. Gnabry was a, a youngster at Arsenal. Yep. And he's gone on since then to mm-hmm. that, this whole career where he's now a Champions League winner with Bayern Munich. I mean, Guy, if you want to switch it up, I think uh, 24 years old, Champions League winner, I think Gnabry's made it. I think he's he's crossed over to the other side. And if you want a younger player to uh, to scout, we can definitely set that up. Who's yeah, when you're time? rocking that mustache in the Champions League final, you've yeah. truly moved on from the, uh, the youngster. You've become a man. <laughs> uh, Anurag Anjaria scouting Andrea Novakovic, 23-year-old ah. American striker for Frosinone. Yes, a lot Novakovic. of people are interested to hear what's going on with Andrea Novakovic, right? 
Yeah. Novakovic, is, uh, Novakovic scored the winning goal in the 15th minute of Frosinone's 2-0, 2-1 aggregate victory over Pordenone in the promotion playoff semifinal second leg. He then got the MLS assist for Frosinone's goal in their 1-0 win in the second leg of their promotion playoff against Svezia. Unfortunately, despite the win, uh, his and Frosinone's season ended in heartbreak as they missed out on promotion to Serie A thanks to the playoffs tiebreaker rules. So I'm going to assume that the first leg finished 1-0, so it was 1-1 on aggregate. Here is the tie- Breaker, Daryl. You ready for this nonsense? I mean, I already know, but yes. If neither side wins outright or on away goals at the end of 90 minutes in the second leg, then the team that finished higher in the regular season is promoted. The tie finished 1-1 to over two legs, with both Frosinone and Spezia scoring an away goal each, hence the tiebreaker. Yeah, Spezia finished higher in Serie B, right? So I guess that's not that, that much simple. nonsense. No, it's, that it's, makes it's, actually, sense. It's, just, it's actually pretty good, right? Because it incentivizes actually finishing higher in the league, and it matters where you finish in the playoff spots. And then you don't have the away goals thing an extra time. Never mind, I've changed my tune. It makes sense. It's just a bummer. <laughs> Well, we'll continue to support Andrea Novakovic, 23-year-old um, American striker in Italy. Um, yep. Katie Sutton is scouting Katie Cousins, the 22- to 23-year-old American midfielder. Um, Katie sure, Sutton sure. says Katie Cousins confirmed on social media that she is still training and pursuing a career as a professional. She stated that she is not currently with the team due to, quote, different circumstances, unquote, uh, which Katie assumes is code for COVID. Katie Cousins has been working at a camp in North Carolina this summer and plans to take an internship there while looking for a spot on a roster. This, Taylor, you know this, mm-hmm. I know, but I want, I, want, I want our listeners to know, this is not a case of a player who's not good enough to go from college to the NWSL, no. right? Katie Cousins is really, really, really good. I believe she got injured towards the end of her college career, which made it really hard for an NWSL team to pick her up. This is a player that an NWSL roster could really, really benefit from. Absolutely. I think she was playing for University of Tennessee with Buddy Shaw, who I think then went pro. So she loses that aspect of things. Then she has the injury. Um, I think North Carolina, not a, like, not a, a bad place to be hanging out because as more European teams are looking to NWSL rosters, maybe North Carolina Courage will have some spots to fill and maybe <laughs> Katie Cousins will be right there. I say just show up to training and act like you belong <laughs> and see if anybody corrects you. Like, uh, like Don Draper does in Mad Men. Um, yes, I know exactly. I know that you haven't watched all of Mad Men, but that's that's how he gets his job. He takes uh, Roger Sterling out drinking, um, mm-hmm. asks for a job. Roger Sterling says no. And Don Draper turns up the next day and says that Roger Sterling said yes. And Roger Sterling can't remember. That's second only to Larry David actually doing the thing of quitting and then showing up the next day and pretending like it was a joke. Yeah. Which he did for SNL, I believe, and then <laughs> turned turned into a Seinfeld episode. Not bad. All right. uh, we're, we're all on board with Kenny Cousins to the NWSL there, right? Uh, yes, I, I would like that. I would like that. Todd Ito, scouting Takafusa Kubo, 19-year-old Japanese attacker on loan at Villarreal from Ooh, Real Madrid. That's new, right? Because he was at Real Mallorca. You got it. Kubo will be playing for Villarreal next season, exclamation point, says Todd. <laughs> they reportedly paid a loan fee of around 2 million euros with no option to buy, and it will be interesting to see how young Take fits into Unai Emery's system. Uh, Todd did a full look through Villarreal's social media, and they made a pretty big deal out of this loan, so he's hoping that means Kubo is a big part of their plans for next year. I mean, that's a, that's a step up from Real Mallorca, who were essentially relegation fodder. Right? I cut that part out of Todd's scouting report, but yes, that is, he agrees. <laughs> <laughs> They're a step up. 
for sure. James Jones is scouting Andrew Carlton, the still only 19-year-old American attacker, mm-hmm. on loan at Indy 11 from Atlanta United. James says, another match, another Tyler Pasha goal assisted by Andrew Carlton. Um, this time, Carlton volleyed a ball over the Pittsburgh defence from just past the halfway line onto an unrushing Pasha who rounded the keeper and slotted home for the only goal of the match. Carlton's passing stats in the attacking half weren't great, but he's definitely, quote, trying stuff, unquote. There we go. Uh, well done, Andrew Carlton. Well done, Brad Wilgus. Scouting Rainier Jesus, the 18-year-old Brazilian midfielder on loan at Dortmund from Real Madrid. Nice. After rumors surfaced connecting Rainier to a few different clubs, it has now been announced that he will be going to Dortmund on a two-year loan. Lucien Favre said of the player, quote, he's a nine and a half and can also play as a false striker and on the wing. From what I've seen, he's very good on offense and a very, very good finisher. What he did not add, but I wish he had was, but he's still not as good as Gio Reyna, so he won't be starting over him. We all know that in our hearts, right? We yes. all know that in our hearts. I don't believe we have a Gio Reyna scouting report here, but Gio Reyna did score for Dortmund in uh, a preseason friendly. Um, American legend. He's better than Alfonso Davis. Yes. <laughs> he, let's just say yes. He's, he's got almost <laughs> as many Champions Leagues as Alfonso Davis, right? He's only one behind. Almost um, as many. <laughs> Mauricio Sadikov is scouting. I didn't think about it like that. I like that. <laughs> scouting Anthony Santos, the 20 year old Brazilian attacker at. Ajax. Um, Mauricio says, Anthony arrived in Amsterdam in late July, finally completing his much-anticipated transfer from Brazilian side Sao Paulo as a replacement for Ziyech. He's played 45 minutes in each of Ajax's three preseason games, scoring twice in the first, assisting in the second, and generally being a thorn on the opposition side in the third. He seems to be adapting well to his teammates. Once again, the player's name is Anthony Santos, and if Mm -hmm. Ajax buy you to replace Ziyech, you know you're a good player. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's not bad uh, company to be put in. I'll take that. Jim Brochard scouting Jonathan Klinsman, 23-year-old American goalkeeper for the LA Galaxy. Jim says, <laughs> I'm still giving up on Jonathan, but this just in. The LA Galaxy agreed to a deal with Jonathan Klinsman. Uh, he was a free agent after leaving Swiss club FC St. Gallen at the end of the season. I don't know what to make of this. I don't know if this is the Galaxy thinking, hey, this Klinsman kid could be really good. Let's get him on our roster. Or if this is Jonathan Klinsman moving home to live with his dad in California and someone's pulled some strings to just get him on a roster. Well, I think his dad needed him at home in case he left any other important documents in the California home and needed them really, really quickly. So maybe that's part of it as well. Oh, Patrick Keeler is scouting Anthony Robinson, 23-year-old American left back for... Fulham. Patrick says Anthony completed a $2.6 million transfer. We, we pegged it at $1.9 million, uh, G- GBP, right? Correct. Um, to rising premiership club Fulham. Um, his release clause was triggered by Fulham and Sheffield United. And he also had interest from Wolverhampton. Did not know that. Werder Bremen, Newcastle and Everton. Quotes from Anthony hint that his decision hinged on the best chance for playing time. His immediate goal is to claim the left-back spot from Joe Bryan. Patrick adds that now Anthony is over 23 and will probably be completely covered as a U.S. national team player in the Premier League, he wouldn't mind another prospect, especially if Caden Clark, who from memory is a young New York Red Bulls player, if Caden Clark is not taken. I'm shocked at this because I would have thought if you've been scouting Anthony Robinson in the championship, this is like his move to prime time and this is the chance to watch him in some big matches. But if that's really what you want to do, Patrick, that's we can do that. But I As think a we, person who struggled to write like daily news updates when I was <laughs> working at uh, Paste for both you and Richard Woodall, I will say there is something to be said for knowing that we're going to cover him 
as soon as he does anything and as early as he does anything. So maybe if you're if you're not up to writing a scouting report, as soon as it happens, I can see why you would maybe look elsewhere. I see. You don't know, you don't want us to beat you to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. There's nothing worse than setting in that scouting report like four days after it had already happened. <laughs> or like a month after it already happened, as sometimes occurs. Okay, well, Patrick, we will assign you Caden Clark. Let's make it official right now. I won't even email you. We'll just we'll hope that you listen to this um, yeah. and that you start scouting Caden Clark. Maybe, and if you didn't listen, get it together, Patrick. <laughs> maybe we'll also reassign Anthony Robinson, though, because I think some... We're not going to watch every single minute of every single Anthony Robinson game, are we? Maybe we will. I guess we'll find out next year. I feel like Jim um, Brochard would. Maybe we should just swap some scouties around. Oh, that's... that. <laughs> actually, that's not a bad idea. Uh, Jim Brochard, yeah. let us know. Um, mm-hmm. We're relying a lot on a lot of people listening to the end of this episode, don't we? <laughs> we are. Uh, I think it's my turn, right? Yes. side in scouting, Tanner Tessman, 18-year-old American central midfielder for FC Dallas. After declaring in my last report that Tanner Testman's hype train had left the station, I now report that it has parked itself once again. Leaves on the line. Leaves on the line. (laughs) After finally coming back from their COVID outbreak, Dallas has moved to a more veteran-heavy back three lineup. Luchi Gonzalez is not utilizing central midfielders of the more number eight style skill set that Tanner possesses, thus relegating him to one brief substitute appearance. On an additional note, Henry Bushnell did an incredible piece on the COVID outbreak among the Dallas players, and Tessman was the only player willing to have his story not be anonymous. I didn't read that Henry Bushnell story, but I heard it was really, really good. That's a good reminder. I'm going to go back and read it. Final, yeah, Henry good. Henry good. Fine. Yeah, it's a it's a guarantee, right? Final scouting report from Chase Paul. Chase Chase Paul is scouting Gedson Fernandez, the 21 year old Portuguese midfielder for Benfica. Excuse me, Gedson Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Um, the 2019-2020 season was forgettable for Gedson. After his 18-month loan from Benfica to Tottenham in January, uh, he only saw seven appearances for Spurs this spring slash summer. That said, he started at right wing for Spurs in a preseason friendly against Ipswich this past weekend. So there's that. Says there Chase. we go. That's my fault. I think I forgot to say on loan at Tottenham from Benfica. Apologies, Mr. Grove. Not accepted. Not ever. That's fair. Thank you to all our scouts for sending in those scouting reports. Um, we, I would encourage everyone to please don't give up on scouting, especially the young American players. Somebody is scouting Nick Tattagray, and we haven't had the scouting report that Tattagu um, has been included in Schalke's first team squad for the upcoming season. No oh boy. Tatagui, I think it is. Tatagui, yeah, you're right, Ted. I think it's Tatagui, yeah. Um, so I think this is one of those knock-on effects we didn't talk about with Schalke um, just deciding we can't afford to spend any more money, um, is that Nick Tatagui has been in the youth setup for a long, long time there. He's had some injury troubles, so that's why he kind of hasn't hit any big, hypey headlines. But if he's fit, I know he's really highly rated by Schalke and he's really highly rated by US Soccer. He could be um, a sort of sneaky American prospect that no one talks about for a while, and then suddenly he's playing first-team football in the Bundesliga. I feel like you're just really feeling yourself from the Nicolas Sula prediction, and now you're just trying to make more of them. <laughs> Bundesliga Player of the Year for next season. There <laughs> we go. <laughs> I really hope people are still listening to uh, hear that one. <laughs> all right. Thank you once again for all the scout reports. And thank you, Taylor Rockwell, for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. And this is the last we'll be hearing of you for a few days, right, Taylor? You're you are getting right. a, a well-earned vacation. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. But there uh, will It'll be, be strange. Yeah, you deserve it, though. And there will be more Total Soccer Show next week. Uh, first show is going to be on Tuesday. It's going to be an interview with our old friend, 
Jason Davis. We'll also be answering some listener questions with Jason Davis. And then later in the week, we'll be getting an update on what's going on in La Liga, specifically what's going on at Barcelona with our La Liga expert, Graham Ruthven. So lots of Total Soccer Show to look forward to next week. It just won't have any Taylor Rockwell in it. You, you booked Graham? I did. did. Did he ask about me or like, did you guys just make your own plans? He said, oh, are you the better one? That's what he said. <laughs> I have no doubt. I have no doubt. <laughs> so, yes, listeners, thank you for listening. Taylor, I've enjoyed covering the Champions League with you. It's been a blast. It's been a really exciting tournament. Um, Don't try to dig yourself out now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the best. Listeners, you're also the best. And I will talk to you again later this week. <laughs>